Please turn back to page 693 in your Bibles, especially this morning, because I want to link in that great passage with the previous chapter to see its context. So it's nice to have the Bible open in front of you, page 693. While you're finding it, can I, I want to start with two rhetorical questions, which I don't want the answer from you, but to think them through. First question, why is it... Last night, Margaret and I went to the pantomime. We arrived 15 minutes before schedule and could hardly find a seat. Everybody's sitting there waiting expectantly. If you come 15 minutes before a service in church, you're all alone, not a soul near you. Why is that? Why do we arrive in time for a pantomime and don't worry in church? Ponder that one. Truths I shall never understand. My second, rather more important question is why is it that when I uh, raise a certain contentious issue, uh, which there's no clear answer, somebody always has the definitive answer. When I say, well, I'm not quite sure I, I'm about what I believe about this, somebody puts me right after the end of the service, not least in Fullwood. But when I preach something which I think is obvious and clear, there's a certain amount of apathy depends upon, descends upon the audience. And I say that because we're dealing this morning with Son of David. One of the great contentious issues, what is the plan of Israel in the purpose of God today? And I think that's a, a vexed issue, but apparently some folk have it all sussed and sorted out. And that links with the title, you see, Son of David. The promise here, in verse 7, that he would reign on David's throne and over his kingdom from that time on and forever. What does that mean? Well, one of the things, we're, we're looking at this little series, uh, which I conclude well, I half conclude next week. I conclude the morning bit. We have a, a postscript at New Year's Eve, 6.30. And for those who don't normally come in the evening, why not give yourself a treat? And then we in the evening will try and tie up the loose ends. But you see, we're, last week it was faith instead of fear. Next week it will be hope instead of despair. And then they'll all come together in the preparation for Jesus in Revelation on New Year's Eve. But today it's light in the place of darkness, and the darkness of which we read in chapter 9, verse 2, was not just the darkness of sin, it was that, it was the darkness of the religious world of the days of Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, and he longed to see the light shining in darkness, and he had this promise, a promise that one would come who would be on David's throne. Now do remember, they always look back, Israel, to David as being the great time. He had his faults, he let God down, but nonetheless he was a great king. And in his day the nation was great. And of course the people of Israel longed for a return to that great national greatness. And indeed sometimes they got it all wrong. The prophets had to complain that you, you, you made a mistake. Amos says, why do you long for the day of the Lord? That was a great phrase. The day when Messiah would come. It'll be a day of darkness, not light. Strange paradox. It's like a man running away from a lion and a bear met him. And he ducks the bear, leans his hand on the wall of the house, and a serpent bit him. All a bit rotten, that, isn't it? He misses the lion, he misses the bear, and he puts his weight on the wall and gets bitten by a serpent. And the message of Amos is, you're depending on a great national hero. And all the weight you're putting on it is going to bite you. Because he won't be quite like that. Isn't that why Jesus, in his ministry, never once, I think, called himself son of David. 
He asked a question of, the, uh, of those who questioned him. Tell me, you've questioned me. Answer me this question, said Jesus. Who is the Messiah's son? I mean, who is the Messiah son of? Son of David, they said. Well, if he's a son of David, said Jesus, why does David in the Psalms call him Lord? The Lord said to my Lord. If he's his Lord, how is he his son? He wants to draw out that he's far bigger than a great hero. And yet, and yet, when a Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, said, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. He did. There had been a promise right through the Old Testament. Psalm 132 is full of it that there would always be somebody on David's throne and he would keep David's descendants there forever. And yet the forever was qualified, so long as they follow my way. And here is Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. And we saw last week the king then was Ahaz, an unbelieving king who'd lost the plot completely. And we saw last week, uh, Isaiah tried to make him believe, and he promised him a, a virgin, bringing a child called Emmanuel. And he was a descendant of David. He wasn't really fit. He wasn't worthy. And so the promise comes, there will be a greater king, a son of David, who will be of the line of David, in the genealogy of David, but the Lord of David, far greater than David. But he'll be a different kind of king. The staggering thing about the kingship of Jesus, which we're going to look at here, and the promise that the angel gave to Mary in that second reading, that you will have a child, he will be the son of God, but he will reign over the David's kingdom forever. The promise being fulfilled. Did he? Well, in a sense, Isaiah is still looking on to the second coming, hence our final evening postscript because it's never fulfilled until the final day on earth what crown did he ever wear a crown of thorns when was he ever called king on a cross Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews what a strange kingship those of you who are uh, Church of England by background and remember the dear old Book of Common Prayer, 1662 and all that, you remember it? Well, in the Book of Common Prayer, uh, it's very interesting. You try and find Palm Sunday in the Book of Common Prayer when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And you will search in vain. The prayer book doesn't know Palm Sunday. It's a new phenomenon to the prayer book. The prayer book calls the Sunday before Easter, quite simply, the Sunday next before Easter, which is correct and true, and it tells the story of the cross. But where will you find the Palm Sunday story? You will find it. You'll find it as the Gospel for Advent Sunday. Because Cranmer hadn't got it wrong. Cranmer, with his wisdom, knew that the kingship of Jesus when he came for the first time was a strange kingship. Fancy a king riding into his capital city on a donkey? It could have been a charade. It could have been almost laughable, a king on a donkey. And yet he was saying, fulfilling the prophecy, which said, your king will come to you. That's the kind of king. Now, that's the son of David. That's why I'm a Gentile. I'm so glad to be one with Jewish Christians, Messianic Jews, as they often call themselves, because we believe in Jesus as Messiah. But he's king of all of us, son of David. 
Now, in this passage, please notice, first of all, the context of Christ's kingship. That's why you need to just glance at chapter 8. Because who are the people walking in darkness who've seen a great light? That passage, which I'm sure we read tonight at the carol service, we read it constantly at Christmas. Well, the people walking in darkness are the people you can read of at the end of chapter 8, where darkness was eventually defeated and remnant restored. What kind of darkness was it? Just note in verse 16 of chapter 8. Isaiah's almost impatient. Bind up the testimony. Seal up the law. I will wait. It's almost as if Isaiah's stopping to preach. There's been such a lack of response. I'm going to wait for the day when God does something. I trust you all read your newspaper and discovered that the other day we uh, evangelicals got the front page of the, of the Daily Telegraph at least. We've produced a covenant uh, which represents thousands of churches uh, to present to the Archbishop who's got it and his, tr- his trouble, poor chap, because we're making a stand for the truth of the gospel. It's a covenant that could yet be a change, change things in the church. We can do pray, look it up, pray for us, reform and other groups have made their stand and are beginning to bring hope. But there are times when it looks like you say, wait, 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 wait for something to happen. You see, what do people do in dark days? What did these people do? Verse 19, they consulted mediums and spirits. They went to the dead to try to get a message. Isaiah says, to the law and to the testimony. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? You may remember G.K. Chesterton, a Roman Catholic Christian, reminded us when people stop believing something, they don't believe nothing They believe anything and everything. And we live in an age when people are rushing to all kinds of other religions. Richard Dawkins has tried to produce his book about a God delusion, but he's wasting his time. We're not an atheistic world. We're a highly religious world, but very often the religious world is dark. As dark as atheism. If you were here last week, as some of you were, I did comment that the last time I preached on Isaiah 7 about Emmanuel was on the week after Princess Diana was killed. Strange how it's all in the public arena again. Now, my notes that I keep from the past tell me, it's very strange, that I actually preached on Isaiah 9 the week before uh, Isaiah, uh, week before Diana was killed. Now, why did I preach on Isaiah 9 before Isaiah 7? doesn't seem sense. I think the reason was, in my mind, that Emmanuel was a greater title than Son of David. So I was moving to the climax in a, script, in a series on who is Christ in all the scriptures. But my notes, which I carefully keep, tell me, and somebody at 9.15 said they remembered it, that this week before Princess Diana was killed, I pointed out that when she was in need just a few weeks before that event, a few months before that event, she'd been to a medium in Derbyshire. And I dared to say from this pulpit that if only Princess Diana in all her searching for reality and sense and hope had come a few miles further north and sat in a guest service at Christ Church Fullwood, she'd have heard light and truth. It wasn't arrogance. And it wasn't that I want a royal personage sitting in the pews of our church. I just believe that for a mixed up young lady, she desperately needed, not a medium, 
Not one who plunged into darkness, but somebody who spoke the truth of the gospel. But sadly, she didn't know that was the way to look. And the Bible is always very clear. If at a time of need you search into the darkness, you will get darkness and death. King Saul, desperate in, the, in 1 Kings, uh, in 1 Samuel 28. King Saul, desperate, managed to get a witch of Endor to produce Samuel from the dead. Oh, did, he, did she really bring Samuel back? Was it an evil spirit impersonating Samuel? I think that's one of the things I don't fully understand. But I do know that it gave Saul no hope. Just the last word of doom. And it's so desperately important that we who believe that the light has shone in a dark place should point people to where darkness was defeated. And darkness was defeated when that man died on a cross, as we shall remember in our communion this morning. That's why interesting, at the beginning of chapter 9... After that awful picture of darkness at the end of chapter 8, distressed and hungry, roaming, enraged, looking upward, cursing their king and God, seeing only distress and darkness. Now, in our world, that's the reality. I challenge you to pick up your newspaper tomorrow, or if you've got one today, today's, and just analyze how much headline brings you light and hope. And how much headline tells you what a dark, despairing world we're in. Fifteen minutes of the half an hour news searching for a killer of prostitutes in Ipswich. Lebanon, Middle East. Go on, we could go on and on, couldn't we? And into that darkness, light has shone. But where was the light shining? You see in chapter 9 verse 1... It's the light shining in a dark place, Galilee of the Gentiles, where Jesus surprisingly began his ministry. He started up north, and that was the place on the frontier where they were always being invaded. And the dark place, the light shines. Darkness defeated when the light of the life of Kat came. Secondly, the remnant restored. See, the picture in chapter 8, verse 18, is a picture of Isaiah with his children, two children, Shear, Jeshub, and Maher, Shalal, Hashbaz. I love that name. It rings beautifully. And his children were beginning, were beginning to be the beginning of the church. Not the national group anymore, but the people gathered around the truth. We are part of the people of God. That's the promise of the son of David. And if you like it, the church is beginning. And what will happen in chapter 9? Well, there'll be joy in verse 3. There'll be victory in verse 4. And have you noticed the victory of verse 4 is nothing to do with fighting. Verse 5, all the warriors' boots have gone. There's no peace that way. And then to us a child is born. A son is given suddenly the hope, real victory. When I was ordained many, many years ago, somebody gave me a verse in Zechariah. When I was a young lad, I didn't even know where to find Zechariah. But anyway, I did find it eventually. Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That is, the victory will be won not by force of arms, not by a new great charismatic leader like David, but by the gospel that brings victory and joy and peace. 
the context of Christ's kingship. The world hasn't changed. We wait to acknowledge a real king. Isn't that why Jesus, when he started preaching, said, Repent, the kingdom of God is here. Audacious statement. This is the kingdom of God at hand through King Jesus. What is the character of Christ's kingship? Secondly, the context. What is the character? This is where you get the four great names. Royal doublets. You cannot get away from the fact the child born is God. Please, unless you believe that, Christmas becomes just a sentimental trip. If he's only an ordinary man, however wonderful he is, then why on earth do we do what we do at Christmas? What is the point of bowing at a cradle? It really is kind of just playing games, baby games. But if he's a son of God, if that child in that manger is God become flesh, well then of course that's different. And he's got four names. You see them? They're couplers. With great respect to those who enjoy singing Messiah, you don't sing wonderful, boom, 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 counselor, boom, boom, boom. It's wonderful counselor that you don't sing the comma. That's the old version. He is wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you see the four qualities? Wisdom, wonderful counselor. Not just the teaching of Jesus, his wise teaching to which we turn, but the way Jesus lived. Oh, and by the way, if you believe he was a great teacher, do you listen to all he has to say? Or pick out the bits you like. The Sermon on the Mount, lovely stuff. What about his teaching about judgment? And the awesomeness of hell, is that not right? Because it's not kind of popular today, is it? If he's the son of God, it's all right. Wisdom, and wisdom the way he lived. Wisdom in the fact that the crown he wore was a crown of thorns. Power, mighty God. Love. In a few weeks' time, I'm going back to Edinburgh to preach in my, our old church that we ministered in for ten years. We're going back north, Mara and I, and I'm preaching in Edinburgh. I never go back there without thinking of some of the memories, and one of the memories was to visit regularly. A lovely couple. He was a doctor. And he had, they had one daughter who had an incurable disease. And every time I went, I can, imagine, I can see him now, taking me to the door and saying, thank you for coming, Philip. You see, there's nothing I can do. And the worst moment, she looks up at me and says, Daddy, I know you're going to make me better. You're always making people better. But there's nothing I can do. All the love in the world. But love couldn't change it without power. He hadn't the power to do it. The glorious thing about this, this Messiah, this son of David, he is mighty God, but he's everlasting Father. He is power and love. Listen to these words from Isaiah later on, chapter 40, verse 10. The sovereign Lord comes with power. His arm rules for him. He tends his flock like a shepherd and gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Never be foolishly sentimental about Jesus, but do hold on to the fact that he's tender and loving, but he's also powerful. And Prince of Peace, wisdom, power, love, peace. Well, it's true, of course, that he said he came to bring not peace but a sword. The world was divided at the birth of Jesus. 
Shepherds and wise men worshipped. Herod planned to kill. It's always been so. Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own heart. Wonderful to be the mother of Jesus. Wonderful to be the, given that privilege, mother of the Son of God. You stand and see your God child hanging on a cross at the age of 33 and try to understand it. Well, she'd pondered things in her heart from the beginning, so perhaps she did understand, but it was very costly. Very costly. And yet, he is Prince of Peace. When Paul is writing in Ephesians 2 and he's talking about what the Messiah did when he came to the world, he preached peace, he made peace at the cross, he is our peace. And that's both ways. Vertical, he makes peace with God so that we can come to communion. Sinners though we are. Peace across because we are one at the foot of the cross. And when you think of our divided world, all the divisions that darkness brings, religious divisions too that darkness brings, religion battles with religion in our world. Oh, please don't imagine religion is a good thing in itself. Religion has done a lot of evil in the history of the world. But it's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings peace and can bring across the religious divide hope and peace in him. And so finally, the context of Christ's kingship, the character of Christ's kingship, the uniqueness of Christ's kingship. Forever and for all. See, that was a promise, even in Isaiah, from that time on and forever, verse 7. There will be no end at the beginning of verse 7. And the promise to Mary in Luke chapter 1 was that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And of course that's true, we are part of it. Have you ever thought that the remarkable irony that Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus decided to have a census? In his palace in Rome, he made a decision. There'll be a census. And because of the census, pregnant Mary went with her husband and the babe was born in a stable. And here in the year 2000, whatever it is now, 2006, 7, very soon, 2006, here in the year 2006, Caesar Augustus is a name in history we just heard about. And Jesus worshipped by millions all over the world would that there were more and even amidst all the froth and emptiness of so much that goes for Christmas think of all the people who are bowing the knee to Jesus Daniel had a vision or the king had a vision which Daniel explained the vision of Nebuchadnezzar the great statue the mighty statue there's all the history of the world all the problems of kingship and out of the mountain a little stone. And the little stone grew larger and larger and larger. And it toppled the mountain. It toppled, it toppled the, the statue. The little stone. And that's the kingdom. That's the church. That's us. And so we thank God we got a king forever. His reign will know no end. And finally for all. It doesn't come in this passage in itself. But it does say in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And if you take Isaiah's book on. Then you will find. And we'll look at it next week. A king and a man. That it is a wider one. Simeon said he's the light for the Gentiles. And the glory of my people Israel. Quoting Isaiah. 
that Christ makes us all one in him. The other day we were all busy, sort of, uh, the press were all busy, telling us how you bury bad news. And the thing to bury bad news is to think of something even worse and make sure you put your news on when something worse is happening so that actually they don't listen to your bad news. I was pondering yesterday how I was going to bury the bad news of the Ashes Test Match. I was finding real problems about how I could bury the bad news So I went to Hillsborough to watch a football match and we lost as well. So we haven't buried the bad news. Incidentally, I I put this to you. The 9.15 congregation, which as you know, huge crowds at 9.15. Going out, I'd said the same thing at 9.15. And I just said, if anybody knows the present test score, could they tell me? Now, it worried me that somebody going out knew the score. Now, how did they know the score? Had they got a Walkman on during my sermon? Things are not what they used to be. Anyway, uh, I got the score. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I did get the score. We're still there. But Christian, you see, don't bury bad news with bad news. We bury bad news in good news. Oh, in a sense, it doesn't bury it completely, is it? But yes, we are. Our sins are gone to the bottom of the sea. That's buried. As far as east is from the west, they've gone because of what this king did when he died upon the cross. I wonder if you remember that uh, Pilate, strange man Pilate, the only human being apart from Virgin Mary who gets his place in the creed, isn't it strange, suffered under Pontius Pilate. The one who washed his hands said, it's not my fault. And centuries said it was. But Pontius Pilate, in a way that was remarkable, said about Jesus, behold the man. He said about Jesus, behold, your king. And the king man of whom we shall see next week, the king man was son of David, but more. And that's the light that shines in darkness. Well, we'll all be back again tonight. You'll hear the notice about how you do it. We'll all be back for the carol service tonight, carols by candlelight. The experts know that my Protestant soul rebelled against candles. And as soon as I retired, the candles came in. Hacking's gone. We can now do the proper thing. And I'm sure you're quite right. You're doing the proper thing. But I do hope, I, I did point out, my good friend here again, he's listened to the sermon twice this morning. Bob. I'm glad, I'm glad Bob's heard it twice this morning. Uh, on a millennium occasion, when, uh, do you remember the New Year's Eve, millennium 2000, you all marched forward with candles. Now, I had a wrestle in my soul walking with a candle. It's not my line. But eventually, I plucked up courage, or Margaret plucked up my courage for me, and I got hold of my, of my candle. And as I walked out, Bob Dunnigan said to his wife, he felt the same as I did, if I can, can do it, I can do it. And so these two good Protestants marched down the centre aisle with their candle. The rot set in a long time ago. Anyway, uh, tonight, there's nothing wrong with the candles. I, I, I've been converted. I'll come and enjoy your candles tonight. But I think you would know, wouldn't you, that candles don't change anything. I changed the end of my sermon this morning because I, there was a lady in the congregation who used this phrase to me. It would have been hurtful. But I can say it now. I do find that phrase about funerals, we'll light a candle for you, rather strange. If, if you said I'd pray for you, I'd understand that. If by light a candle you mean I'm lighting a candle as a symbol of my prayer, okay, I'll I'll, I'll accept it. But it seems to me what we need to remember tonight is that with all this lovely church lit by candlelight is only a symbol 
of a world that could be lit by a man who was a king, who was son of David, who fulfilled all the promise and yet was king forever and for all. And as in a moment we bow the knee at the communion rail, we acknowledge him as our king. And the light that could change the darkness of our world today and the darkness of our churches today and the darkness of our lives today. Let's pray.